Well, I don't see my clicker, so you're going to have to hit the arrow button occasionally. I may give you one of these, like a real good wink. And I know that's when you should progress it. Uh, you came on a good day. It's Potluck Sunday. I'm not going to get to enjoy it with you. My, just about all of my family is sick. And so I'm going to go home and help with um, that war on terror back there once I get done here. Um, but you should go eat my part today um, and enjoy it. And if you, One thing that's great about uh, Potluck is there's no assigned seats. Just go sit by someone you don't know and get to know them. Because that's what we're doing here. It's one, of the, one of the interesting things about worship is we're all facing the front. But hopefully we're all facing each other once we get done. We all worship together and then we should interact and um, experience each other. One of the problems with all of that, though, is that once you start experiencing other human beings, you realize that other human beings are really different than you are. That they have different interests, they have different ways of handling uh, conflict, they have different uh, em- just emotional states. Some people get really excited. I once dated a girl that got way more excited about everything than what I got, and I just couldn't handle it. Just, uh, she's not here today, but uh, <laughs> it's not Rachel either. But it, you know, you just think, oh, we, we are way too different to be spending this much time together. Um, we, so there, what happens with the church is we all come here for one reason. It's we come here uh, because of potluck. Or, no, I'm sorry, we come here because Jesus is the, uh, the resurrected king, and we believe that, and we want to worship him, and we want to do it in this particular place. But when we come to worship him together, what we find often is that just because we all want to worship God doesn't mean we're all the same. Doesn't mean that we all connect, that we all uh, have the same interests. It doesn't mean that we're, we all have the same upbringings, and we're all going to be different. One of the interesting things about the fruit of the spirit is that it's spoken about in this context. Now, the way we speak about the fruit of the spirit sometimes is that it that it exists within us. We got to love, joy, have joy, got to have peace, got to have patience, got to have kind. You got it's something that happens within you. But look at the verse in Galatians chapter 5 one more time. Galatians chapter 5. By contrast, he'd already li- he lists all the bad stuff that happens when we live by flesh. And most of that's uh, either giving in to your fleshly desires or it's envy and strife. It's fighting and quarreling among one another. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those, those people, plural, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Next verse. If we, if we live by the Spirit, let us alone be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. One of the the most important things you can remember about the Bible, if you never learn anything from me, and this is the only thing you want to learn, this is it. This is how you study the Bible. You have to remember that it was written to a group of people instead of an individual. Because our culture is an individual culture. We like, just, just, it's for me. I can get 
what I want to get. And, and advertisement is pointed at you. They're saying, advertisers say, this is, this is what you need to have. You. We have an I, I have an iPhone. I have a phone that is so much about me that they put the first person singular pronoun on it. It's an iPhone. So I can access YouTube. We, we, have this, we have this tendency to make the world revolve around us because when we drive down the road or we watch television, they're telling us the world revolves around you. We want to get this thing for you. We want to sell you this particular prescription or we want to take, no matter the side effects, we want to, we want to sell you this particular product. We want to, you need to upgrade. You, you need the best of the best of the best because you're worth it. Target said I'm worth it. I should buy their stuff. They, they want the world to revolve around you. So oftentimes when we open our Bibles and we say, well, the, the, this is, we, we say, Jesus is my personal Savior. Saying something the Bible has never said. Yes, Jesus did save you personally, but it's just, you're hitting the crossfire of Him trying to save the collective group, the church. He's trying to save, He came to redeem People, not a person. And so the Bible was written to these churches, these big, these groups of people around the world. Even 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus were written to guys who were in charge of groups of people. Even the letter to Philemon is a letter about the relationship between two different people. Church and Christianity cannot exist apart from each other. It's not because you go to church that makes you a Christian. It's because Christianity has its deep-seated roots in community. You know, church has kind of become a dirty word at times now because, and so people will say, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, no. That's just not true. Now, let's, let's phrase it this way, though. You can't be a Christian and abandon community. That's a better way of saying it. You cannot be a Christian and abandon community. Because Christianity is not about your personal little tastes and beliefs. I joked recently that some, I, it, was, it was on a little private Facebook group of ministers, they said, did y'all have trunk or treat? And I said, yes, I dressed up like a millennial. I didn't wear dress socks and I left the first moment it didn't cater to me. That's my generation. Churches are just, are, are, are scratching and clawing to get, get the millennials, my generation. How do we get the millennials to church? Well, we got to cater to them. No, we got to teach them to stop being selfish and make sure everything revolves around them. Then they might actually start to become, be a part of a community. Can I say that because I'm a part of the generation? The selfishness is not a new and hip thing. Every generation has struggled with it. 
nothing is special about my generation that we are particularly selfish and we want the church to revolve around us. They don't have any programs for me. Start a program for you. (laughs) This isn't a catering service. So what happens when we get into church and we have to have community to have Christianity? Paul's saying you have to be led by the Spirit because the Spirit produces in us, not just in me, but in the community, the love that we need to have community. The Spirit produces within the community the joy that is needed to have a good community. And the Spirit produces in us the peace, within us, the peace that is needed to have a good us. Because if there's one thing that's needed in church, is peace. It's needed. You're going to have to have peace. Next week we're going to talk about patience. That's needed too. But peace is one of those words that's gone from, uh, gone from something very serious to something very not serious. It went from a very real thing. Even the peace sign. Have you, you don't know the peace sign? I just drew it in air if you, if you didn't know it. That's what it looks like. <laughs> peace sign was the was original piece of artwork that was for the nuclear disarmament movement. It, they, they were trying to get England to get rid of all of their um, weapons of mass destruction, what we would call them, but they, they, nuclear disarmament movement. You can tell that by, if you know semaphore, which is the flag language that they use on ships, that thing is N-D, nuclear disarmament. That was something very serious. They wanted the world to stop possessing weapons that could just blow up entire cities and buildings. Something very serious to, yo, far out. (laughs) Quite a transition. From something, peace is something very serious that's about the world to something that's very sort of just inward and I'm going to cross my legs funny and say, hum inner peace. Does God care more about inner peace or communal peace? (coughs) Communal peace. That's the answer a hundred times out of a hundred. Because he sent his son to instigate peace within the community. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. Before... I'm going to prove my point, but Jesus was telling a story. I don't have the scripture up here, so we'll just leave the word peace up there. Jesus was telling a story, and he says, say you're, say you're at the altar, sacrificing an animal. That's what you do at the altar in Jesus' day. You're at the altar, you're worshiping God. You have come to sacrifice an animal. Right in the middle of the sacrifice, you remember that someone has something against you. You drop your sacrifice and go make Peace with them. Because God values the peace of his community more than he values his own praise. Now he does say come back and offer the sacrifice, but God values the peace of the community. Peace is not just something that happens within us. It's something that happens between us. Peace in the Bible, the word shalom in the Old Testament... Peace in the Bible is 
Shalom is like a very popular word in the Old Testament. It's mentioned 500, over 550 times. Not once is it talking about an attitude that we have. And the majority of the time, it's referencing an experience that happens between people. You cannot be a good community if you are not a community that is at peace. That means we are not at war. We are not with, at war with, with each other. And some people will say, well, just, just relax and just, if, if, if they don't like me, that's not my deal. Well, if they're, if they're part of your Christian community, that is your deal. We are called to be at peace because Jesus came. One of the reasons Jesus came was to put us there. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you, he's talking to the group of people who are... Um, Gentiles, they're not Jews. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens or not citizens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We were two peoples at war. We were far off. We were different, different groups. He says, but next slide. For He, Jesus, is our peace. He's the thing that makes me and you, even though we're very different, even though we have very different senses of humor, very different ways of understanding money, very different ways of understanding the Bible at times, that, that, He's, Jesus is what makes us at peace. Why should we, why should we fellowship when we disagree? Jesus. That's why. Because Jesus is our peace. Notice he doesn't say correct understanding of Scripture is our peace or the right, the right, uh, the, the, the right uh, amount of money is our peace or pews versus chairs is our peace or small groups or no small groups is our peace. He says, Jesus, the thing that brings us together, the treaty that ends the war, the thing that ends all hostility is that Jesus died for me and as much as he died for you. He is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has a bomb. That's a really good verse. I don't have time to get into it. But oh man, that's a good one. That one's loaded with stuff. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So peace is not just an inner feeling. It's not the opposite of inner angst. Peace is not the opposite of angst. Peace is the opposite of hostility. To abandon the anger, to abandon the judgment we have between ourselves, to abandon the dislike. Yes, people are going to dislike. We're going to, we're going to be disliked. I can come off as kind of a know-it-all. I don't mean to. Rachel says I just make stuff up and I'm confident about it. <laughs> it's true. The other day, it was Andrew and I were talking. I was like, you know, pizza's an American dish. Most people think it's an Italian. They looked it up. It's Italian. I'm just an idiot. 
I said that with all the confidence in the world. Because I thought it was true. I don't know why I thought it was true. I think I thought, I think just because I thought it. I wouldn't say something I just made up. I must have read that somewhere. We're going to be different. We're going to disagree. We're going to rub each other uncomfortable. Like we're, we're going to be uncomfortable in our interactions. But we're all here not because it's comfortable. We're all here not because we are, we're all the same personality type. We're all here not because we're all extroverts or we're all introverts. We're here because of Jesus. And he has broken down the hostility that we might feel from, uh, between each other. The problem is oftentimes we think it's other people's fault that we're not getting along. There's a difference between me and you. It's going, if I might think, I'm probably going to think it's your fault. Or if there's, if there's, if there's hostility in the, in, in the community, it's the other, other side's fault. I think it's funny. I, you can just pick your political figure and you can p- pick your political side. I don't, I, I don't care one way or the other. But just say political figure A and you have political figure A prime, right? So we have the two sides. We have Republican and Democrat. I don't care. Okay, we'll just do this example. I don't, Obama could save a child. Save a child with his bare, like jump and, and skin up his knees doing it. And the other side would say, he's just doing it for like, I mean, it, can, you can imagine. And then, and then, I don't know, pick that guy, Ted Cruz. Bush, we'll say Bush. George Bush could have done the same thing. Rescued a kitten from a tree with his, with his, on his lunch break. Do presidents get lunch breaks? But another side would have said, man, what, what was he doing outside? Shouldn't he have been in? We, the hostility exists between us because we decide for it to exist between us. Yes, we're going to disagree about things and... I have abandoned the political. That was just an analogy. I'm not moving forward within it. We, we are going to disagree about things, but the things we disagree about should not trump the fact that Jesus came to earth to die on the cross for everybody that I meet every single day. Everyone I interact with, Jesus died for Everyone I interact with, God sent his son for. Everyone, not just in the U.S., but in, in Pakistan and in, in Liberia and other countries that I might make up names for. Everywhere in the world, he has called us to be one community in the name of Jesus. Peace is an interesting thing to preach um, the, mon- the Sunday after Veterans Day. And, and I actually thought about it. It was kind of tough. Because peace is, the, 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 as I studied the word, it's, it's not war. It's the opposite of war. And that was the dream of God. It was, a, it was the teaching of Jesus. But just because, and I, I got to thinking about this, and I was a little nervous about it because I thought, well, I don't want to come across as like anti-soldier, but then I realized anti-war is the most pro-soldier stance. 
to be against war is the best thing for our soldiers. Does that make sense? For being pro-peace, hoping that our soldiers are not sent into battle, is the best thing for the ones who would die for that thing. I'm very thankful for the ones who had to go into, those, into that place and protect our freedoms. And I'm also very sorry they had to. I wish the world wasn't broken. I wish, I wish we didn't have war. I don't feel like that's a controversial statement. I'm so thankful we have um, soldiers. Because I would not make a good one. I would be a bad soldier. And we have good soldiers who protect us because the world is not a place full of peace. It's not a place that hopes for peace. But our community is a place that hopes for peace. Our community is a place that desires peace. Not just in our, in our building, but just in the world. Can you imagine? That's what God's dream is. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a prophet who says, uh, when, when God's kingdoms rule, peace will flow from the mount, mountaintops. Not peace. Wine will flow from the mountaintops. That's his image. Wine was an image for, for peace. Peace will just exhume the world. It'll be a beautiful thing. God's dream for the world would be no more war. But there is war. God's dream for the world would be no more hostility. But there is hostility. See, what we're doing here in this place and what the Spirit is leading us to do is to mirror what the kingdom of God is going to look like when it does come. When we are all with God, what's it going to look like? Well, hopefully a lot like your church. So when churches fight and argue and bicker and, and fuss, when there's an element of hostility within churches, that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the world looks like. I'm so thankful for the soldiers who gave their lives, who gave their time, who gave their effort to keep our country in a place where I can stand up and talk about God in public. And I'm also very thankful that when God reigns, they won't have to do anything like that ever again. We are to be a people that model the kingdom of God. Not just in my, I'm not looking for just inner peace. You will not have inner peace until you have peace between the brothers and sisters. If you do, you're just selfish and blind. Because what God wants is a community that looks like his kingdom. And it's his kingship, Jesus' kingship, that leads us to find peace in places where hostility abounds all around us.
But what we're doing, sometimes peace is difficult. Sometimes peace is me going to someone who doesn't like me or, or someone I don't like and being like, what's going on between us? Why is this happening? Why are we having such a difficult time getting along? Is it me? To have that conversation is difficult. And it might be full of angst. That's a peaceful conversation to have. It's a conversation Jesus said to have. It's a conversation Jesus was dying for us to have. It's a conversation that promotes peace within the community. These fruit of the Spirit are not for just you personally. Yes, they will affect you personally. He is talking to a church, actually a group of churches, in Galatia. And he says, you guys, your community needs to be living by the Spirit. And that Spirit is going to produce love in the community. It's going to produce joy in the community. It's going to produce peace within the community. And what if that peace is tested over and over again? What do we do then? Well, the next word's patience, and we'll get there next week. He calls us to peace. And peace is hard work. Peace is not just sitting back and letting things happen. Peace is entering into the conflict in hopes of resolving it. In hopes that I might give up of myself so that we might have peace. Peace in your marriage is tough because there's two people. Peace in church is harder because there's more than two here today. I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that's true. But whenever we get to the point where we feel the friction heating up and we think, well, I don't know if I can stand this any longer. I don't know if that person, I, that person or this person isn't the sort of person that I had hoped them to be. Well, you're not the person Jesus hoped you to be, but he still died for you. He's still your king. And he's the one that we look to to find peace within the community. I've said church, community instead of church pretty much this whole sermon. Intentionally. Because sometimes church, we hear church and we think something that we shouldn't think. We think worship service, we think pews, we think songbooks. That's what a church does sometimes. But the church is just a community of people who love each other, who have joy because of the love that we have for each other and the hope we have in Jesus. And we have peace with one another because we work really hard in the Spirit. We, we did the difficult thing. We said, had the conversation we didn't want to have we promoted the peace within the church. See, Jesus offers this sort of peace. A lot of you right now, you just live, you live an unhappy life. And if you're living the sort of unhappy life where everything, everything that makes you unhappy is on the outside of you, you can, you can point and blame somebody else for your unhappiness in every situation. 
I'll tell you this. If, if your unhappiness can be, if you always unblame, if, if you always blame your unhappiness on people outside of you, you will always be unhappy. Always. You need to set your eyes on Jesus and start seeking the peace that only he and his spirit might offer. It's only then that you'll be able to function within a community that claims Jesus as their king. The community will help you because we're striving for peace too. The angst that you feel in your life, at least especially the angst that you're blaming on everyone else around you, that's nonsense. Give it up. And let Jesus create in you, let the Spirit of God create in you a peace that passes all understanding. People will look at your peace, the way you interact with other people, the lack of hostility you have, and they'll look at that and they'll say, I just don't understand it. You can say, me neither, but praise God. If you need to interact with Jesus for the first time ever today, or if you need to repent because you've just you've been a person of angst, a source of hostility in the world, in the church. I would like to add, I don't have anyone in mind here. (laughs) I'm not thinking, I know who needs to come forward. Never thinking that. I'm just thinking Jesus calls us to standards that are higher than what we live. The Spirit will call us to levels of living that we just, we have yet to experience. Levels of peace that we just don't know. And it's a beautiful thing if we just let it happen and do the hard work that it takes to let it happen in the Spirit. If you need Jesus this morning, if you need to repent this morning, you need prayers, if you want to be baptized into Jesus this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing. Thank you.